Hello and welcome to Parent Driven Development Episode 3. My name's Andy Kroll, and I'm here with my friend Chris. Hello, I am Chris, and I'm here with my friend Allison. Hello, I am Allison McMillan, and I'm here with my buddy Josh. Hey y'all, I'm Josh Pitts, and I'm here with uh, my amazing friend Mandy. Hi everybody, my name is Mandy Moore, and today I'm excited that we have our first guest on the show, Heidi Waterhouse. Heidi is the parent of a 13-year-old and a freshly minted 15-year-old. She works as a developer evangelist for Launch Darkly. Her volunteer gig is teaching sex ed to teenagers. In her free time, she sews her own conference dresses and rides her bike. Heidi and her kids have been talking about how to be on the internet since before the kids could read. Hey, folks. It's great to be here. Welcome. Welcome. We're super happy to have you. So, Heidi, you talk a lot about internet privacy, and I was lucky enough to see your talk at Abstractions last year. The part that I really loved about it is you went through internet privacy, but in a way where you talked about different kids at different age levels and what sorts of things to be aware of for different ages. And uh, on the call here, we have, uh, you know, we've got a bunch of folks with children at a variety of, of stages of life and ages. And so I was wondering if you could talk, maybe give like a little recap or talk a little bit about that to kick us off. Sure. My kids have been online since they were small enough to sit in our laps and drive mice. And I've been thinking a long time about what it is that would make them actually safe online as opposed to being sort of a security theater of parenting. And early on, like say pre Eight, what you want the, to get them used to is the idea of not giving out any personally identifying information. And theoretically, the Children's Online uh, Privacy Protection Act enforces that, but realistically, it doesn't. And between, say, 8 and 13, you want to talk to them both about how they should behave online, like what good manners are, and also what is important to them to spend their time on. And I think it's really important that we teach kids this age never to use their real names. Because when I first got online, I will date myself precisely, I didn't have any worries about using my real name because the internet wasn't forever. It didn't persist the way it does now. But now it does. And things that you say as a dumbass 13-year-old could come back and bite you when you go search for a job at 21 or even you know, college applications or stuff like that. So I think at that age, it's really important to let kids mess up, to let them screw up their personas and then be able to wipe the board and say, who? I've never heard of that person. After that, I think it's really important that we talk about the reasons people might be bad actors, like things that people could be doing that would be cynical or harmful. And this is where a lot of parents worry about sexting and online pornography. And I think that's partially a concern, but I think it's also important for us to recognize that it's the age where they want to separate from us and they have to uh, sort of figure out their own problems while still having some support and backstop. I actually find it very interesting. So my kids are in the first two groups, although the youngest is just at the very end of the um, first group of, you know, about to cross over into uh, from to learning about being polite. Uh, one of the things you said was no names. Now, I was curious about that. Is this like no name at all? Like you have a, an online handle and you have to, it has to be something totally made up 
first name, no last name? It, you know, where where do you fall in there? So before my kids were born, even I picked names for them that were similar to their first names, but not searchably similar. So my kids' online handle has been Baz when I talked about him, and then he picked his own handle when he was old enough. But I just I really wanted to be something that doesn't search tie them back to their their wallet identity, which is a whole different show. But okay, yeah, like my oldest, for example, um, you know, we had a a handle that she went by uh, for a number of things, and then now that she's more independent and cares about these things has started changing it to something else now luckily the thing that she chose is even less (laughs) identifiable and it's spelled wrong so that makes it even harder to search for so i think that that's great but it was kind of it's a weird balance to have to totally separate them versus not and if it's too far then i would probably slip up and fall back to the to the real first names versus the the handle and i'm not sure (laughs) quite where the balance is right well, the thing I like to remind myself is if somebody Googled my kid, would they get the naked in the bathtub pictures? Right. And I want to avoid that coming from my end. And I want my kids to have that sort of instinctive flinch about, is this something I want on my LinkedIn profile? As far as them not going by their real name, like I can get that. But do you also have feelings on hiding a gender? If a name sounds feminine, girls are more likely to get attacked, especially not just like online, but if you're playing like online games or role playing games or, you know, video games, there's just been all this talk about girls getting abused. Do you think that we should be concealing the gender of our children as well as their names? It's not just talk. It really happens. When I picked a handle for myself, I picked something gender neutral because I was sick of it. I think it's not a bad idea. Certainly, I wouldn't like if the kid wants to be strongly gendered, whether or not it matches to their assigned gender, I would say, you know, go ahead, kid, like you're, you're willing to accept that. But also be willing to walk away from an identity if it's contaminated. Like That's one of the great things about using a pseudonym is if something goes terribly wrong, you can just burn it and walk away. Yeah. But then do you have that conversation with your kids and say, hey, if you choose this XOXO cutie pie sweetheart and men are going to see that potentially – and then you have those people that will go after that. Do you? How do you have that conversation with your child without scaring them to death? Right. So interestingly, I think we worry a lot about online predation, and it's a real thing, but it's much more likely they're going to get grief from other people who are playing the game and don't want to play with girls. Yeah. So I think you can say, hey, when you're picking a name, you might want to consider these things. Like there are advantages sometimes. Like many, many years ago, I was on a BBS and I had an obviously feminine handle and I ended up getting a free BBS membership because they wanted a woman around to be able to test some things on. And they're like, oh, hey, let us give you this free stuff. So like, if you want to take advantage of that, you can. I just, yeah, we should say to kids, not that it's scary, but that jerks online treat people of different genders differently. And I feel okay saying that, you know, it's jerks who are going to treat you differently. And we're just, you know, mitigating against that. What about things where your real name is? So like, is there a difference 
between, you know, like a, a gaming platform or, or whatnot and like Facebook? So I have a problematic relationship with Facebook in that I have a placeholder account and I haven't logged in for four years. We, because... we can be Facebook friends. <laughs> that's yeah. not problematic. We... That's perfectly sensible. I yeah. think we all have problematic relationships with Facebook. <laughs> right. But the thing that I want to say is like, sure, have a real name account, but then you have to be behaving as if you were in an office all the time or at a family reunion. Like all of your good behavior has to be on. And I think that's super difficult for kids because the impulse control is not what your average, you know, nine to 20 year old is really notorious for. I mean, there's right. a wider issue here, right? Like, so I don't know actually what the legal position in the US, but in the UK, you have to be a certain age to have one of these accounts, right? Yes, theoretically. It's not like they DNA test you for your age when you log in. It's relatively easy to lie. Yes, I, I know parents who lie for their kids so that they're on Facebook and they're not supposed to be. Right. I totally taught my kids to lie because um, you could get, <laughs> I did. I think Sebastian got his first email account when he was eight. And I just, I'm like, okay, we're going to lie to it and tell it you're 13. And here's why. Like, here's why you're blocked from having an account before you're 13. And here's why I want you to have an account. And here are the things that we're trying to keep you safe from, which is mostly like, giving out your information and yeah change the work date go ahead and lie we did something similar for setting up apple accounts so my kids have like hand-me-down iphones and i wanted them all to be on you know them to have icloud accounts and associated that with it but you can only set up like parental controls and stuff like that if you create uh, an email account through apple and then the trick that i wound up having to do was well i didn't want that i wanted it to be on an email domain that i control and so we use our, our personal domain for that. But when we were signing up, you know, I was sitting sitting down right next to my kids and we we're like, okay, you're now born in, you know, the year 1990 or whatever it was that we picked for signing up for this account. And, and we had to walk through why. And that was important so that we could set up, you know, the family sharing and have all those things tied together. But I didn't want it to be controlled by Apple's email server either. And um, that was a kind of an awkward balance that we had to strike in order to get more control. Uh, I found myself lying about my children's age to set up emails. Yeah. And I think we set these rules for the best of possible intentions and it disenfranchises children and treats them as if they are subhuman and it disempowers parents and says, you are not smart enough to make decisions for your kids. And I really resent them. Like I understand that they're well-intentioned, but they're not working out for me. Um, so one of the things that I'd, I'd heard was in order to control how you're represented on the internet, you often want to kind of fill it full of good things that are tied to your name, which typically means publishing uh, with that, I guess what you're calling the wallet identity. Mm -hmm. uh, do you ever do anything like that or endorse anything like that for kids? Because I could see school accolades or something like that being relevant and wanting to have my name associated with that long term. But I also know that that could suddenly become tricky with that impulse control that, that is so problematic. I didn't particularly encourage my kids to do it one way or the other. I figure, you know, they have their college years to establish that. But if you search on one of my kids, you get very little. And if you search on the other one, you get his first talk that he gave on Internet security and being a kid. So I'm like, I'm super proud of that. 
the other kid, uh, she doesn't really like attention that much. Like, I accidentally found out from the school newsletter that she's student of the month. Not a thing she disclosed to me. <laughs> I'm like, uh, okay, okay, that's good. That sounds similar to, like, Allison and I have both done stuff where our kids have gone with us to conferences. I've also presented the talk, and my daughter helped present with me. And that was when I was I'm like, well, I guess that's indexed and online f- forever now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a, a little while ago, a lot of female developers sort of at some point get, you know, have issues online. And I, I mean, I did a whole talk about, you know, being a parent in tech. And like most of those slides were just, you know, pictures of my child. And I had like a mini freak out moment um, a little bit ago where I was like, oh, my God, what did I what did I do? Did I, you know, did I make a mistake by putting all of those pictures of him in a conference talk that's going to sort of be, you know, and I was careful with which photos I chose um, in terms of, you know, they weren't like him in the bathtub, you know, there weren't any sort of like private parts showing or, you know, things like that. And I sort of decided it was okay, but I have, you know, I've also decided that I don't talk about like where he goes to preschool or, you know, things like that just as, I guess, as safety mechanisms. Yeah, he's super young also. So it's, you know, I'm sort of just getting to for a lot of because he's only almost three, you know, he's not online at all. You know, a lot of what I think about in terms of Internet privacy is like, what am I setting up for him? Or, you know, like, what am I setting him up for? Uh, You know, among friends, there's sort of split opinions as to I have some friends that put no pictures of their children's face online because they feel like it's not their choice to make and their child you know, as a infant or toddler is too young to, to make that choice. And I have other friends that are like, whatever, my kid's online. It's, you know, it's fine. Um, and so, yeah, when they're, when they're young, it's sort of what decisions am I making as a parent that they'll sort of have to, have to live with or just deal with in the future. Which is true of all of the decisions we make as parents. Like, are you going to pierce your baby's ears? Are you going to get them vaccinations? Like everything we do is stuff they have to live with. But I think we just don't have a good template for how this is going to play out because it's been changing so fast in our lifetimes. I feel like we're the inverted commas experts on this, right? Like I was programming the video for my parents when I was a kid and now I do this for a living. And my approach so far, I mean, my my two are nearly five. My approach so far is like just not let them anywhere near it. And I'm going to continue that till they're about, I don't know, 27, 28 as much yeah, good you know, luck if with I can. That. Yeah, let's wait till the 30s. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out. turns out that... So uh, there's a great book by Dana Boyd where she talks about the fact that we have essentially deprived teenagers of any place that they get to physically meet or time that they can do it. And so the only thing they have left is the non-physical cyberspace. And it was really resonant to me because I'm like, oh, yeah, like... we have curfews. Kids can't go hang out at the mall and we have practice. They can't go hang around after school. And there's all this stuff that we've incorporated into our lives that structures them more rigidly and gives them no time to hang out with each other. So of course they're going to do it online. And I think if we like not at five, but certainly at like 12, if we're trying to keep them offline, we're going to be fighting a battle. It's going to be really hard. Well, and there's also a different acceptance level towards that sort of socialization happening online. You know, I think it's easy for us to say, like, you should go and hang out in person. But really so much, at least to me, it seems like 
so much of their lives and you know that's I'm sort of like really interested where this will be in you know in 10 years when when my kid is 13 you know so much of their lives are online that that in person piece like almost like doesn't matter as much anymore because you have FaceTime and Skype, you know, like all these ways to be online sort of in person without being actually in person. Yeah, I I think it will be super interesting. I think we will still crave in-person contact, but it's very interesting to me how interpenetrated technology is becoming with uh, school. But do any of you have school-age kids? Yes. Okay. So my kids have Google accounts like Google education accounts. Yes, the school district didn't ask me to sign anything for that. Oh, that's that's an interesting point. Uh, they didn't ask me either that I remember. Right? So they're just... Yeah. That's because Google aren't evil, so that's fine, right? Yeah, right? so they're randomly collecting data that I don't know about my kids. And yeah, that's a little creepy. So but... um, our, our school does that too. They use Google accounts. However, and I'm... I talked to um, the administration about it. I didn't, not specifically, but kind of, kind of related to this. And um, they are very careful about the Google accounts are like the student ID mm-hmm. and not their name. Mm-hmm. And so one of the big things for them was like, when we create the accounts, we can't collect their first or last name. We, they have to have this, you know, separated uh, account and it's all part of the Google suite that they use. So it's not, you know, just whatever at Gmail, it's kind of controlled by the school. Right. Um, and I thought that was at least interesting that they took that step. And so now it's, you know, whatever elementary school four, five, six, seven is, is the, the email address that they have. And then and they that made me a little bit at happier. the end of the year, it doesn't persist. That doesn't mean that Google isn't collecting, storing and uh, associating that data. Oh, no. Yes, absolutely. And I know that their rules are stricter about the Google suite accounts that are that are owned by that school, and at least according to their terms. But that doesn't rule out the fact that I'm sure the Google bots are still going through and looking at everything, whether or not they're presenting ads. Right. So I just think it's really interesting because like the cybersecurity education that the kids are getting at school to go with this is pretty much the equivalent of abstinence-only sex ed, <laughs> which is the the internet is full of scary people and you should be scared. Like We're going to teach you how to use this stuff for school because Google Docs is basically the standard for for, for the near future. But uh, don't go like online online because scary things. And I'm just like, well, that's not very helpful. As we all know from abstinence-only sex ed, Telling people that they just can't do a thing does not actually work very well. I was just going to comment that I, I almost feel like um, online security education for kids is the new sex ed. Like th- there may be some passing mention of it, but it's really up to you as parents to be on the ball. Exactly. Which, and I Which think, is really unfortunate, I think. I also really feel like maybe they could have got sex ed right before we started doing a new one. That would have been good. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I think, like sex ed, you have to talk about cybersecurity for kids before they need it. Like, you have to give them the foundational understanding before they get tempted. And that requires a lot from parents. Like, it's very easy to say, I'm just going to monitor everything you do. Did you all see, a couple years ago, there was a Pew study that said something like 70% of parents have a password to their kid's phone and check it. Like, Look at their kids' text messages. That's kind of horrifying. 
isn't it? I was blown I think, away. I, I'm I like, know. oh my gosh, all the poor queer kids. I know I shouldn't make judgment calls because, you know, every parent is different, but I think that's, you know, I don't know. I think we all try to like instill uh, trust and respect in our children and <laughs> violating it like that. I just, you know, I mean, how many Lifetime movies do you have to see before you know that like never works out? Right. But I think a lot of parents are like, I am so weirded out by the fact that my child is having relationships that I can't see. It's not like, you know, Billy came over and and they hung out and played video games. It's like my kid is talking to somebody who doesn't have a real name. I don't know where they live. I don't know anything about them. Obviously, the thing I should do is like surveillance. Uh, Heidi, I wanted to ask if you had any suggestions for services or places for kids to explore online communication. It seems like, like so much of what we talked about is either no internet presence or full-on Facebooking. I wanted to get your opinions of services that are pitched towards kids as like safe places. So uh, my information is out of date because my kids are older, but we did a lot of Roblox, which is sort of like uh, a Minecraft precursor. Uh, Disney actually has a pretty good like multiplayer world with relatively, it's not intelligent monitoring, but it's monitoring. Uh, I would encourage your kids, if they're a little older, to set up a Discord server, which is like Slack, except for gamers. And if you set up a closed server, it's just basically their friend group. That's a really good idea. Yeah. And so then it's like people they know, but also we're learning to talk to each other online. And if something goes down, you can go back and fish out the logs and be like, actually, kid, you were a jerk step off yeah my daughter's really into roblox but sometimes i don't know how i quite feel about it because every now and then i'll see some kids taunting each other or like saying stuff in the chat that i'm like you shouldn't be saying that but i'm kind of of the mindset that i tell my daughter what's wrong and what's right and I kind of trust her to make that decision. Um, I tell her, I was like, if you don't feel comfortable, then you probably shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like, we'd love to believe that our kids won't get taunted in other places or won't watch people be cruel to each other, but they will. And the thing that we're giving them is the ability to identify that it's wrong. Like, wow, that's that's really cruel. Why would somebody do that? What do you think they're getting out of it? Because the the thing that I am no longer as worried about this, but the thing that I'm scared of is accidentally raising trolls. <laughs> like, given their facility and their verbal wit, it would have been so easy for my kids to be terrible. And that's what scared me. I'm like, okay, let's never say it's only online. It doesn't matter. Because that's how you build a troll. That's excellent advice. Thank you. So um, the different personalities of my children, uh, one is very just intrinsically polite and empathetic and kind of understands how other people feel mm-hmm. um, and never never felt the need to really explain, don't be a troll, don't grief. Whereas the other one um, didn't quite get that, at least not as intuitively. Um, and then that was played Minecraft online with a server. Uh, JC, who's one of our other panelists, who's not here today, would also play on the same server and Uh, this Minecraft server was integrated to Slack. And so Mm -hmm. even if we weren't playing the game, we could see the chats going on. 
And you could see when other somebody else in the game was, you know, screaming, "Hey, stop breaking my stuff or give it back!" Right. Um, and and it was kind of a these great moments to sit down and be like, "Now, aren't you annoyed when they broke all your stuff and took your, you know, the things that you worked so hard for?" That's why you don't do that to other people and yeah. kind of putting them in their shoes. And it was kind of as if a light bulb went off in his head. And I've now watched, you know, interacting with other other children and trying to explain and being so frustrated that that they don't get this. Um, <laughs> it made me very happy because I never thought of it as not trying, you know, not raising trolls. <laughs> but once you said that, I'm like, that's exactly what we went through when we were working that out over, you know, a few months. Right. And I had to learn that at like 18 because that's sort of when I hit it. But yeah, it's it's really a thing that we're not encouraged is to see the humanity through the screen. And I think just on a social, cultural, civic level, we have to say everyone is actually a human on the other side of the screen. So, Heidi, how did you time uh, allowing your kids to like either sign up for different services or to move on to other things that like that their friends are using you know if it started with roblox and minecraft and it goes all the way up to facebook but there's a lot of other things in between there's you know twitter and text messages and snapchat and all of these sorts of things and i'm curious if you have any guidelines for when to allow or introduce those sorts of things depends on the kid Sadly, like I'd love to tell you there's a a good hard and fast rule. My son got a Twitter account when he was like 10 because he was interested in it and he wanted to talk to me while I was traveling. And my daughter didn't get hers till she was 13 because she has a tendency to drama. (laughs) And I'm like, I I actually don't think that's going to work out well for you. I know. It seems like the perfect platform. I feel like there's some drama. I know. Well, (laughs) she... She is currently, like, I'm a little unclear on what she's doing with her online life. It involves a lot of Hitalia roleplay. And having established that, I'm like, okay, you are pretending to be Romania in a Japanese anime. Good luck. <laughs> like, you're a 13-year-old girl. You have a lot of issues to work through. Go do it over there. Come talk to me if you have any problems. But I think it depends very much on your kid. Also, it depends on sort of their ability to do their own risk analysis. When Baz was 11 or so, he was playing a ton of Minecraft and uh, downloaded a bunch of unfortunate mods and nuked his Minecraft server. And also our home network, because, (laughs) (laughs) because they were, you know, Trojans. And we were like, that's it. No more Windows for you. (laughs) <laughs> and poor kid, he ended up on Ubuntu for two years until he could learn to download with better discretion. No more really. Windows is a good life lesson. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, I run Windows, but I also work from home, and I need I need the network to continue working. He did I learn. No, I to, feel I feel like the desktop Linux is a harsh punishment. Oh, uh, you know what? He learned to administer it. Great. It was very good for him. And, and now I feel like I could send him out into the world as a as a Linux administrator. It's a, a marketable skill. Exactly. <laughs> the only way you can play video games, I'm going to give you, it's going to have no windowing system installed at all. You have to figure right. it out. Go. <laughs> and, and I have to say, like, Ubuntu 1 was pretty, as these things go, it was pretty friendly. It's, it's like cheating. It, it is like cheating. But, you know, it also makes it difficult for you to really screw your system up. And then he installed Wine because it turns out that they can figure these things out on their own. And also all computer tutorials now are actually YouTube videos, which just I'm a technical writer at heart. And I don't understand why you would want to watch a video to learn a thing. But kids these days, 
Speaking of YouTube, what an excellent segue. Oh, YouTube. Oh, YouTube. You're so oh, problematic. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> so can can you talk about YouTube? Um, I feel like in terms of like, you know, privacy for our children, I, I will say, at least for my child, it's done an excellent job of encouraging her artistic and creative impulses. She desperately wants to share those. And obviously, I'm really not wild about a 10-year-old having a YouTube account that she posts video to. So what are some ideas for helping direct those creative impulses? I feel kind of torn. I don't I certainly don't want her posting videos on YouTube. On the other hand, I don't really want to squash her creative vibes. Uh, so what I would do is, yes, YouTube, no comment. Install the fiercest comment blocker you can find and go ahead and let her post. Because the problem is not that she's being creative online. There's a ton of 10-year-old girls who are doing awesome art online. Oh, I have to watch them all. Yes, trust me. Yeah, I know. Like, uh, how many um, rubber band bracelet videos is it possible for a person to consume? I don't know. Let's find out. Um, <laughs> yes, my daughter is pushing those limits. It's amazing. Yes. But the problematic part of YouTube is that it's commenting is almost completely unmoderated. If she really wants the feedback, it's possible you might have to take some time and do moderating. But I would never let a 10-year-old see unfiltered YouTube comments. Or a 40-year-old either. Or a 40-year-old. Like, I don't read. I have a comment blocker on YouTube. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, right. no. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not reading those. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so then like, is this only... Not to read the bottom half of the internet, I guess. <laughs> So is this only on the computer then? Because I would, you know, one of the things my kids will do on their phones is YouTube, and it's a lot harder. Yeah, I don't know if there's a blocker, but I think you can say like the signal to noise ratio on comments is terrible. Just don't bother. Yeah, my daughter is eight and a half, and she has her own YouTube channel, and it's not very popular. I mean, it's just her. She's has little Pokemon characters that she makes talk to each other and she acts out stories. Aww. Yeah. That's adorable. So that's like a creative outlet for her. And like, she's on there, like you could find it, but again, it's not her, her username isn't like identifiable and I follow her. And I think I'm like one of like three people that follow her. And I think the other two are her friends. So I just check on it every now and then. But to me, I don't think there's anything wrong with her doing it. So the things that scare me about YouTube are basically the ability to build a toxic community really fast. And for a low to no follower account, it's not a big deal. But as a woman speaker in tech, I'm painfully aware that there can be like a giant pile on in a matter of minutes. So I, I would want to shelter my kids from that. How do you do that, though? By not letting them comment? Yeah, by closing off comments and saying that's not a, a thing we do. Okay. I've mostly taken the tact on that with just explaining, like, this is where the trolls are. These people aren't thinking. They're just writing whatever pops into their head, and it's vile. Don't read that and yeah. as much as, as we can. And uh, most of the, uh, the content creation and sharing that they've done has been directly with friends, and so it, they're... Uh, neither of my kids are, you know, posting videos to YouTube currently, although they they, they have expressed some interest. Uh, but I think that's normal for all kids nowadays. And so they'll just send it to their friends and they'll get feedback there. But there's still that, that comment section and it's more of a don't nope, this is bad and you need to know about it and you should actively avoid it. 
Yeah. And I hate to be this person, but I would also make sure that my kids understand there are people who are not there because they care about the story, but there because they think the kids are attractive. Gotcha. So yeah. I, I wouldn't make a big deal of it, but I would say like, you know, there are probably not a lot of grownups going to follow you. And if you get someone who's following you and who's really intense about it, why don't you tell me about it? Because this is more of a story for kids. Right. And one of, one of the things that we will do is when they're using different platforms and tr- just trying to connect with their friends, we'll say, okay, well, you can only add your friends. And if you don't know them personally, you can't <laughs> or, yeah. or don't. And then everyone, so I'll come and just show me who, you know, who you're following. And that's, that's been very effective. And it's like, all right, who's this? Where, where are they from? Where do you know I'm from? And we'll, we, we can have that conversation. Yep. I think I would do that. And, you know, while I'm saying, please don't read your kids' texts, it's like reading their diary. I'd also say, like, be aware of what your kid's doing online because it's part of their life. Like, just like you'd ask them, how was school today? You know, how is, how is gaming today? So I do think it's it's helpful to let them know, like, look, we can go back and look at this. So don't say things that you wouldn't, um, because that's going to be true for the rest of their life. Um, yeah. You know, wh- whoever the authority figures are, they can go back and look at it. <laughs> right. Uh, the thing I like to say about that is, like, I'm going to start monitoring it if you start having behavior problems. If I think there's something going on, you will get a higher degree of observation. We've and, also and, done that as well, yes. And my concern is more... It, uh, the other kids that they're interacting with. If, if something's happening uh, there and you're, you're getting other parents talking about problems or problematic kids and you know that they're in the same groups and circles, that can be more of a reason to go back and monitor it and see what's going on to make sure make sure that they're being safe and, and what's uh, happening with that social circle when we're concerned. Yeah, and uh, it takes a community to raise a community of kids, so... It's all of our job. It really does. I have no problem. Like my daughter's best friend, I am in close contact with her mom. And just last week, one of them, I'm not sure who the culprit was, but one of them talked the other one into downloading Kick. And I saw, I, I, <laughs> I found out and I was like, no, this isn't. And, and of course she blamed her and I'm sure she, the other one blamed her. Oh, yeah. and, and I was like, okay, well, regardless, this is wrong. And when you go home, I'm going to text your mom. I'm going to have a conversation with her and tell her what it is in case she doesn't know because she's not in tech. And I texted her and I was like, uh, here's, you know, some, I said, one of them did this. I said, I don't really care who, but I think that we should just delete the app from both of their devices and move on. And she was like, agreed, done. Yeah, they're going to push their boundaries because that's the nature of kids. Like, is this really a rule? Really, 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 really? Yeah. And I don't think they were doing anything like bad on it. I think they were in a game with some people and the people in the game just wanted a channel. And I get that. But at the same time, no, you can talk somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think it's okay to have that kind of rule. With that being said, I think it's time that we should move on to our genius or fails for the week. This is the time where we talk about something that happened completely unrelated to this discussion, or it could be related to the discussion we just had, talking about something that really awesome that we did as parents, and it's a complete genius moment, or it could be a moment that we completely screwed up and hashtag failed. So this week, I picked the children up from school with their little buddy who comes back on a Wednesday afternoon. 
I walked down there, I went in, I picked them up, they came out of the classroom. I walked all the way up the hill. About an hour later, as the kids were playing, I got a phone call. Uh, Is this your tiny white dog uh, outside the school gates? (laughs) Yes, it was. I'm a good child parent, but I am a terrible dog parent. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Well, of all the party to leave behind. (laughs) It's true. The right count. Yeah, I had Um, had the extra child, and therefore I was like, I've got three, that's good, I'm out. My fail for the week is a continuation for my fail from last episode. Um, My child's favorite bedtime story remains to be Family Fire Escape Plan. Uh, (laughs) Oh my god. We're still reading it almost every night. And this morning, um, when he got up, one of the first things that he said was, if there is a fire in the house, you need to get low and go, go, go. Right, Mama? But there is no fire in the house right now. I was like, when will this stop being his favorite story? So, yes. I still consider it. I don't know. Maybe some folks out there feel like this is a genius moment. But um, I still feel like it's a fail. Stay safe, Allison. Stay safe. Don't let him watch This Is Us. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I tweeted. Spoilers. I'm going to have to go now. I tweeted the other day that, like, between This Is Us and, like, the constant reading of Family Fire Escape Plan, I'm now starting to get, like, really paranoid about, like, fire safety-related <laughs> things. Like, my husband said to me the other day, he said, okay, so really I've been thinking, should we get those ladders that you roll out the windows so that you can, you know, like, <laughs> escape from fires? And I was like, our son is having way too much influence over us. He would love those. <laughs> So my win of the week is Sebastian turned 15 on Monday, which I cannot believe. How did that even happen? And I went to Ikea and got him the Calyx set, which is the big cube storage thing. And he assembled it entirely by himself. Wow. It's amazing. I'm so proud. Also, what kind of kid asks for Ikea storage for their birthday? An awesome one. <laughs> my, yes. my daughter wanted Christmas presents from the container store. So Okay, okay, I feel better. Yeah. And so he's sitting there giggling and like, it's like Lego, but so sleek <laughs> and modern. So I had a win um, in that uh, my kids decided that they wanted to spend the time roughhousing instead of being on any screens or anything like that. Although while they were uh, downstairs wrestling... Um, I heard coming from up the, you know, up the stairs, uh, my son yelling, you know, ouch, stop, you're going to break my arm. And uh, my daughter responded in kind perfectly with, I don't want to break your arm. I want to break your spirit. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yeah, That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. At that point, I kind of questioned um, maybe some of my parenting decisions, but I also just couldn't stop laughing and thought it was the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that parenting just is systematically breaking them of doing <laughs> things that you never thought you would have to say. Like, <laughs> please do not scrape the ceiling texture off with your sister's doll's face. Like, this is not a sentence that has ever needed to occur in all of humanity before. <laughs> Seriously, use the right tool. Here's a putty scraper. <laughs> I had to tell a neighbor to get the styrofoam out of his mouth. <laughs> That he had gotten out of a trash can. Oh. <laughs> this is a child or an adult? <laughs> I think he's five. I was like, 
no, put the styrofoam back in the trash can and get it out of your mouth. Thank you. So I had a win too. I'm so excited because I get to finally scream and shout that we're going to Disney World. I have been saving for this for nine years since my daughter was born. I have finally put enough away where I contacted my friend who's a travel agent and he's hooking us up. We're doing four days in Disney, two days in Universal because Harry Potter is the big deal right now. And luckily I found that out before I just booked Disney World because I didn't realize it wasn't Disney. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome though. Nine years. Wow. Yeah. Nine years. Yeah. Amazing. Nine years. As a single mom, it's just going to be me and her, and I'm so excited to take her. Disney World is the best escape room I've ever played. It's <laughs> amazing. Have you ventured down the dark hole of Disney World plan optimization yet? No, that's why I got my friend to do it. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, no, there's there's more to it than that. Um, <laughs> there's, um, there's a number of, of guides and other things like that, and uh, reserving restaurants yes. is a whole thing. Oh, and- the restaurants. Um, I, my wife is a huge Disney fan and she, she did all the research like, uh, and I, I'm eternally grateful, but there was a lot going on there. Although at some point we, we just decided we were like, Nope, we're not, we're not setting up reservations. We're not doing any of that. We're not going to buy the meal plan or anything, anything along those lines. And we just went and whatever, if we were hungry, we'd stop and get something to eat. But yeah, finding out that you can't set up reservations, after you check in <laughs> like that has to happen like months in advance yeah i've heard that i'm just now getting on it we just found the the resort hotel we're gonna stay at which i'm so tickled i got the polynesian and that was like my mom's thing my mom passed That's away awesome. last year so like she my mom had this thing where we're so we're not french polynesian but for some reason my mom always felt the need to tell everybody we were French Polynesian. I was just like, just because you have like a her name was Malia. And I was like, just because you sound like you maybe came from an island, it doesn't mean you just get to pick where you're from and you're French Polynesian and stop being ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it does. <laughs> well no, I, I went and got an ancestry DNA test after she passed away. And I'll be damned if it didn't come back that I am less than 1% Polynesian. (laughs) This is now a French Polynesian Disney World podcast. I'm so into it. (laughs) Anyway, so thank you so much for joining us, Heidi. This has been a great conversation and really important one around security and having your kids, giving them access to the internet because it can be really freaking scary. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Awesome. It was great to be here, and it was super fun to talk to you all. Great. And for anybody who wishes to support us, we do have a Patreon account where you can donate as little as a dollar and gain access to our parent-driven development Slack channel, which hopefully Heidi will be joining us in after the show. And uh, we hope to see you there. It takes some work to get uh, shows like these out. And we want to eventually be able to do transcripts and have all that kind of stuff. And then when we go to conferences, we'll be able to give out stickers and maybe go to a weekly release show instead of a bi-monthly release. So there's some things we want to do, but we need the help of the community. So if you would like to help us, please go to patreon.com slash parent driven dev thank you <laughs>